Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the digital marketing podcast for tech marketers who are sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm, I'm your host, Louis Grenier. So before I start, I've published a guide to help you stand out as a marketer. It's on the homepage of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, and it's nine bullshit-free lessons from world-class tech marketers that I've interviewed in this podcast, including Ran Fishkin from Moz, David Darmanin from Hotjar, or Seth Godin. So you can grab it on everyonehatesmarketers.com. So in this episode, you're going to learn how to overcome information overload as a marketer. This is a big problem, a problem that I used to suffer from, and this is what we're going to discuss today. So Yam Regev is my guest today. He's the CMO and co-founder of Zest Ease. So it's Zest.Ease. Zest is a place for marketers to discover content But the real difference is that it's the content that is being submitted on their platform is getting reviewed by humans and selected by humans. So it's not just an algorithm picking them. It's actually uh, selected by real marketers. And the, the quality of the content being published there is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, so Yam is based in Israel. He has 10 years experience in marketing. He's the previous CMO of Webido. And Yam believes that marketers suffer from both fear of missing out and information overload. So we're going to go through a solution to sort this out. It's a step-by-step -step process as usual, and we're going to go through a lot of uh, different ideas in this episode. So as usual, have a listen and let me know what you think. So Yam, thank you so much for your time today and talking to me. Um, I have a little story to tell you, first of all. all right. A few weeks ago, when I went on holidays, I decided that I would stop going on Twitter and LinkedIn uh, every day because I used to go on them, on those social media networks pretty much every single day and check my notifications. And I did that because I felt very overwhelmed by the amount of information I was receiving every day. So the number of tweets I was reading, the number of updates on LinkedIn I was, I was, I was reading, and I really felt like I couldn't get away from it. So more and more content is being created today more than yesterday. And we as marketers are even more struggling than any other population, really, because we produce a lot of content ourselves. So what's going on is my first question <laughs> to you. I see. I think that, uh, you know, um, yeah, I think that marketers, and this is really related to your own agenda, but I think that marketers are part of the problem, but don't hate me for saying that. We'll speak about it probably um, a bit uh, later on. But I think that... Um, The more the, the, the more we understand how the machines are working, the more content we produce. It means that um, if we want to be, you know, um, improve our search ranking, so we're creating more uh, keyword-targeted kind of content uh, with a lot of keyword density and so on and so forth. If we want to give our content some extra boost, so uh, we're just produ producing, you know, we're posting it on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and we see our friends uh, just liking it and sharing it. And all this probably without um, even reading the piece uh, itself. I think that, um, you know, marketers just get get addicted to create more and more uh, content. And um, it's just making everything to be um, a bit more fluff as time goes by, if that makes sense. Because um, if we are, uh, as marketers, if we are creating content in order for to create the content, So we are losing the, the real goal of why we created it. And the real goal is to give some added value to our targeted, um, targeted audience. And I believe that this is what's going on uh, right now. So we are like in a huge turmoil of creating a lot of content and then 
try to manipulate it in some sort of way that will give it some extra exposure. And then we're getting this exposure. So we think that we did something good. And eventually, uh, we didn't provide any kind of added value to our users, which I think quite sucks. But we'll probably um, uh, dive into that later on. Yeah, so that's that exactly. We That's a good intro. And I think that's a good introduction to the problem that, that marketers are facing right now. And this episode, we're going to talk about, you know, how we're going to try to teach people how uh, to deal with this amount of content and perhaps also give a few tips uh, in, in how to, you know, think about content, not in terms of yet another marketing tactics, but more about exactly as you said, how to, you know, adding value to, pe to people's life. Um, so, yeah, you're the, the co-founder of Zest.ease. So Zest.ease, which is a way to discover really valuable content for marketers. And it's a Google Chrome extension so far. And it's created by humans. So you guys don't only use uh, machines to identify the best content. You actually have people reading every single piece of content being submitted on the platform, right? Yes, that's, that's definitely right. I think that um, in order to better describe what actually Zest is, because it's quite, um, let's say, different in this uh, marketing tools landscape, I think that it's better to, de to describe it by the pain that we're start, uh, trying to, to solve. And what we, what we um, identified is that um, as professionals, whether in the marketing sphere or in any other kind of sphere, you know, whether it's architect, architecture or design or whatever, um, as professionals, we don't have an effective and um, a trusted way to consume um, content that is not only contextual uh, related to us, but also valuable. And um, uh, we all of us as professionals, we just want to learn more and consume more content. And um, we are all overloaded with tons of uh, information and tons of uh, um, sources. And um, this is exactly what Trey is trying to solve, is to try and uh, cut through the noise and uh, bring uh, professional marketers, because this is the segment we started uh, our proof of concept with, and provide them with the best content possible. Now, when we started to do that, we said, yeah, let's do it with machine learning and algorithms and all this and all that. But then we understood that if we do that, we are just creating another kind of manipulate, manipulatable kind of platform, just like Google that, you know, uh, marketers learn how to manipulate their search results uh, pages. Um, and also you have a lot of, uh, in our own niche, in the marketing niche, you have a lot of um, vote-based kind of platforms that you can just put your content over there, ask for your friends to vote, to upvote it, and then it will get uh, some extra exposure. Does it mean that this content has uh, some added value or action items or takeaways for me as a professional marketer? No, just someone manipulated the algorithms of this uh, platform and, you know, the content got a lot of exposure and then I, then I uh, read it. So what we understood is that we need to create some sort of a human-based model and um, I remember the day that we saw Seth Godin lecture, I think it was in TED in 2009. And um, Seth over there, he talked about the tribe model and how tribes are changing the way, um, you know, digital experience um, is being experienced. And what we understood is we, we need to understand, uh, we need to use the power of, of the tribes. And with this, what, this is exactly what we try to do is to bring in professional uh, marketers that will believe in our agenda that um, it's time now to professionals to consume valuable content and not fluff and manipulated kind of stuff. And um, the way the Zest, Zest work is that the tribe or let's say the active users uh, are suggesting content. Then a group of chiefs, which are like, um, uh, we can call them super users, 
they are reviewing these uh, uh, content suggestions, and then they are marking it as, um, as good or bad. And the good ones are getting into chief moderators. Um, right now it's only me, and I'm quite uh, overwhelmed, but we'll probably solve it in, uh, in a bit. Um, just to make sure that it's really stand by the, um, in the line with Zest Agenda and Content, co- content co- Quality Style Guide, and then we publish it on the Zest feed. So I know it sounds quite comprehensive, but eventually we understood that only a professional marketer can tell whether a piece of content have uh, the right parameters that all the other marketers should should uh, consume this content, whether it's uh, action items and takeaways, and if it's recent and fresh information over there. Um, so this is the way the model works. So it's like we took, you know, um, the Wikipedia model where you have tons of editors over there who are just spending a lot of time and they believe in this agenda of bringing information to others. And we are now circulate, circulating this community to our own community around consuming quality content. And it seems that it's quite uh, um, engaging and right now the system works. So it's all uh, all around human-based filtering, um, you can say. So the tool is available if you go to zest.ease. Um, uh, if you search for it on Google, it's fairly easy to find. And we are recording this episode on uh, on the 11th of July, 2017. So I'm just curious about the key numbers that you have so far. How many active users do you have a day or a month? So um, actually, yeah, it's quite surprising because, um, as, as you mentioned, it's really important to, to, to remember and know that Zest is a, is a new tab Chrome extension. It lives only in Chrome, uh, on a Chrome browser, and it's a new tab. It's a new tab extension. So a lot of people think that it's quite intrusive, but once they understand what is there, that value, so um, they really get uh, addicted to it. And I think it's good because it's really reflecting the good content that uh, being published on Zest. And we officially launched on. Uh, at the beginning of March, I think um, it was on uh, March 7th, and today we have, um, I think the last time we saw the report, it's 8,200 weekly active users, and um, if you want to dive into stats, so we can definitely do that. We are generating around 2 million uh, page views um, a month, and around 96,000 uh, 96, uh, clicks or outbound clicks, so marketers who consume the content just click on the articles they see over there. So we have almost 100,000 uh, clicks a month. So that's quite a lot, I think. It is. Well done. That's a, that's a nice journey. I've, I've, uh, I've read one of your articles on Medium about how you, why you started Zest and, and, and how you're planning to grow it. And I welcome any listeners to, to read it. We'll post uh, the link in the show notes of, uh, of this episode. But there's one thing that I, that I read on it that was quite funny. Uh, you said that you managed to grow by using like word of mouth, right? Which is like I don't I, I don't like using word of mouth, of mouth as a channel as a marketing channel because to me it is marketing. Like if people are talking to other people about your stuff, therefore it's a good product and therefore the, it is marketing 101. That's just the principle of it, right? So you're basically saying that you've created such a good product that people are talking about it. That's fantastic. And then you said, but we haven't started any real aggressive marketing. <laughs> Which makes me ask, what, so what, how would you define the real aggressive marketing? Uh, that's, that's a really good question. First off, I think that word of mouth, it's part of the channels that uh, marketing um, uh, have under the marketing umbrella. You know, um, you can do paid campaigns, you can do uh, organic, you can do email marketing, you can do word of mouth. Um, you, can, you can just um, 
decide where you put your uh, uh, most of your attention and wait on. But um, and some are harder to achieve than others, of course. And we can, you know, we can discuss it uh, further on. But I think that uh, what what I meant when I wrote um, the real aggressive marketing in my in my perspective, and uh, this is by the way how I uh, grow. Um, I, I, I used to be the CMO of a big startup in Israel that called the uh, Webidoo. I was the CMO over there for uh, five months. I just announced today that um, I left this great company. Um, they're still uh, going over there and they have a lot of KPI, good KPIs and I'm sure they will achieve them. But because Zest grown so, so fast, uh, we decided that I will uh, continue to my own uh, gig right now. And what we did with uh, Webidoo, and I'll give it as an example for your uh, question. So we used to do a lot of paid campaigns at the beginning when we just soft launched um, um, the, our campaigns. And I go. I went to the CM to the CEO over there. And I told him, "Listen, mate, I I think that I'm just devastating your startup. I think that um, I'm wasting all your resources, which is um, you know even human resources or, or marketing budgets, and you are just paying to those uh, money sucking machines like Facebook and Google, and um, um, we are not seeing any kind of added value or a lot of returning users, and something is is bro- is broken in our acquisition." stage of the funnel um, after they came into the product and they tried us and they speak with us and, and uh, they understand what the value added is so it was fine but at the beginning we just felt that our acquisition efforts are um, just uh, too too expensive uh, our CAC our CAC was uh, really high and then what we said what we need what we said that we need to do is that we need to do a lot of content marketing so we, we created personas of course for our users and then we mapped all the digital bottlenecks that our potential personas or potential users probably hanging out in, you know, whether it's like blogs and forums and uh, uh, places like that. So we mapped all of these sources and then we scored them. It was quite a specific work, that's for sure. And then we started to create, like we have a user acquisition funnel. We had like bloggers acquisition funnel and we started to do um, some kind of uh, reach outs and to understand how we can improve this kind of uh, bloggers acquisition funnel. And it came to a place where uh, probably after two months we had um, we created something that we call external editorial calendar. It means that each week some 10 to 15 blogs published article about what we do. It created huge growth for uh, something like uh, one year and a couple of months, and um, I think it was a couple of hundreds of percentage of growth on a monthly basis. I call this the tactic um, content retargeting. So it's not a smart retargeting with pixel and that you're chasing around, you know, um, chasing after your potential user. But it's actually that you are uh, giving them some added value in different places where they hang out in, like blogs and forums, as I mentioned. And um, they encounter your, uh, um, you know, your created content, whether it was like a straight review about the product or was it like... Um, our art director blog about design inspiration and stuff like that, or um, um, a straight um, um, uh, view in a, in a newsletter that we sponsored or something like that. And uh, it created a huge, say, acquisition activities around the webinar, and we saw that the funnel numbers improved uh, dramatically. The stickiness of the product uh, went better, and um, it seemed that users just stick for long. And this is what I mean about, you know, more kind of proactive and aggressive marketing. So, again, it's not about trying to, I don't know, manipulate kind of different kind of platforms or, or to do um, black hat SEO techniques or something like that. It's, it's for providing a real added value for our own users. We are getting our new brand name out there. 
and we're providing them with what our product can do uh, for them and how you can improve their own professional lives. And this is how we got their attention. This is how we gained some trust. This is how we built our brand authority. And I believe this is a real good foundation for any product that's being launched. So I think it's really a good um, and trusted way to, to try and to start. Yeah. So, I mean, what you're describing here is not, I wouldn't consider that to be aggressive marketing at all. I, I know, I understand a bit better now what, what you mean by aggressive in a sense that it's like a systematic approach mm, towards... Proactive. Yeah, proactive. Yeah. But yeah, I, I wouldn't mean aggressive marketing this way. I would say it's a minute more in your face with pop-up ads and this kind mm. of stuff. But I'd like to come back to the point you made just uh, at the start uh, of, of your answer when you say... When you said that word of mouth is a channel like any other, I, I think I beg to disagree on this because we, we talked on the show with a few guests around this particular point, but a lot of people are making the point that if your product is not good enough or if your service is not good enough, therefore you're going to struggle as a marketer because you're going to try to use some shady tactics in order to get there. And to me, word of mouth is the definition of a good product or good, or good service. I, I, I challenge you to find one good company that sells a good product that doesn't have word of mouth as the number one kind of way to, to get you people, right? So like my point is, it seems like word of mouth is more of a, of the foundation of good marketing and the other channels are a way to leverage on that. But I don't think it's a channel like any other. Um, so, you know, what? We, we can definitely agree about that. And I totally agree that um, you must have um, a good uh, product in order to have a, a good word of mouth or word of mouth kind of activity at all. That's, uh, that's for sure. Word of mouth cannot be generated without people understanding the added value of what you give them, whether it's a service or a product, right? So I believe that I uh, totally agree with you. I, and I do agree that uh, the other channels are here to support um, uh, whether it's a word of mouth or other kind of activities. I just think that um, it's not only um, a good product um, that, um, that you need in order to have a word of mouth as far as it relates to, um, um, especially like us, that we are targeting professionals or more kind of, uh, you know, B2B approach. So I believe that um, what, what we did, you know, in, in uh, this, and maybe it will shed more light on, on what I meant, is that um, I, I, I totally agree that, you know, yeah, the product is sharp and people understand the added value. But what, what we did in the, in the marketing aspect or in the way that we manage the community is that we took um, some B2B doctrines or B2B marketing doctrines into our marketing strategy and we tried to modify them a bit for our own interest. So we took the ABM uh, a doctrine the account-based marketing or account-based um, everything. And we try to do to do it on what we do with Zest. So although, although Zest is not a pure B2B kind of uh, um, a product, we do target a really um, a targeted audience uh, within a niche. So those are marketers, or in our case, professional marketers. We saw that 77% of our users, are uh, they, uh, uh, their job title is director and up. So a lot of VPs and a lot of CMOs, a lot of founders that they have uh, uh, some marketing um, orientation and experience. And we understood that we need to communicate with these people quite in a one-on-one -on -one, uh, manner. So we, I call it a ha moment or, or um, holy shit moment. So it means that um, if someone hear, hear about us, they are giving us a try, they are installing the, um, uh, the tool itself. 
and then they are uh, they have the first um, aha moment that they say they see wow this is um, this tool is designed quite beautifully um, I want to give it a, um, a deeper a, a look and um, then they give it a try they understand uh, the added value of it from the content that's been published on, on this and how everything works within the model and then once they are suggesting content by themselves they are getting a personalized by a real human, in this case, it's me who write these emails to those people who suggest the content on on this. I believe that you received one um, as well, and uh, the, yeah, and I think that this is what uh, bring them. Uh, they they say no, no way that someone is treating that seriously to my content. And what I'm saying to them is that if you treat your your product seriously, you need to 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 treat seriously to your content as well. And this is why we are we are here. And I believe that in this uh, specific uh, moment, they understand how valuable the, the product is, not only from the added value they are getting, but also from the whole agenda that it represents. And this is really the place where we feel that people really engage to the, not only to the product, but also to the brand and the, and, and the agenda of what we represent. So there are a lot of stuff that you talked about right there, so I need to break it down. First off, as a listener, you, you submit your content to the Zest platform. Yam is personally going to reply to you with an email. It's not necessarily going to be tomorrow or whatever. At least somebody, a human, is actually reaching out to you manually to talk about uh, the content you submitted and whether it, uh, it was approved or not, which is exactly what happened to me and which led to me basically inviting you to this podcast because you sent me a personal email. That, that really blew my mind. Uh, so that's the first thing you're mentioning. The second thing you mentioned is the account-based marketing principles, right? So can you briefly go through the principles of this way of thinking? Yeah, account-based marketing, um, it's something that, uh, you know, let's try to do a short zoom out. I think that B2B marketers in the past years had to learn a lot of things about uh, from B2C marketers. A lot, a lot of things of how to grow your brand, how to be more authentic and more uh, high level and how to speak um, and how to, re- to have the right uh, tone of voice and so on and so forth. I think it's something that happened in the last four to five years. So B2B marketers learned a lot of things, a lot of doctrines from B2C marketers. And I think that what's going on right now is that uh, B2B marketers are, um, um, you know, they are giving away something back uh, to B2C or, you know, to all the marketing sphere out there is that something that are uh, called account-based. Account-based uh, in marketing, it's of course account-based marketing, but you also have account-based sales. And, um, uh, you know, some people will say that you have account-based everything. And the account-based uh, marketing doctrine said that, um, um, and of course, this is the reason it comes from, from the B2B um, 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 aspect, is that um, you only have not countless kind of uh, a number for users. Means that you have, whatever, 10,000 potential users or, or potential clients or 100,000 or something like that. It's something that you need to, um, uh, to examine. Once you uh, understand who are your totally uh, targeted uh, uh, potential customers, so you're starting to build a lot of methodologies or marketing methodologies around these these users. It's not a persona anymore. This is a real user who uses your um, your product uh, or service, and um, you actually build everything around this kind of account or this kind of accounts. It can be even ten accounts that you're just throwing them into one bucket or 100 accounts that you're throwing them into one bucket and build all your strategy around them. The strategy starts with um, uh, branding, positioning, messaging, you know, everything that is up funnel. And of course, you need to um, deliver a coherent messaging throughout the funnel. 
and um, then you start to build all the other activities around them. So it's like it will be like the acquisition um, uh, stage, whether it's by paid campaigns, content campaigns, and so on and so forth. Everything that relates to onboarding, um, and then the product usage and product KPIs. Eventually, um, uh, you need to hand over those kind of users or, or, or MQLs or SQLs to the sales team, and the sales team have their own um, account-based sales kind of methodologies and so on and so forth. Then you have the customer success team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So in B2B companies, it works. Uh, I think it's the best probably doctrine you can use as a marketer. Um, Again, I don't want to repeat myself, but we, we took this doctrine and we, we modified it uh, to zest a bit. We took the good parts or the light part from account-based marketing. And this is how we do uh, marketing right now on zest. And I think this is part of what, how we achieve this world of mouth. Where we're really getting in real touch with our users. Um, and, we're, and, and that's the way we grow right now. Uh, any, is there any resource uh, that you would recommend listeners around account-based marketing in particular? I think that probably these days the best way to go is to go like to, to, to read blogs of product to do um, huge B2B kind of uh, marketing campaigns. Um, I think that uh, one of the best is Engagio. Uh, Engagio.com, uh, uh, they have a great blog that uh, deals with account-based everything. And um, you can just um, uh, learn a lot of things uh, from there. That probably will be the best source to learn account-based everything. Okay. Um, I'd like to dig into the, the problem that we framed at the start, where marketers really struggle to, to learn new things or to know where to go. There are so many things that they have to absorb every day. What would be your advice? I mean, obviously, your tool is an answer to that, but it's not the only thing that they can do. So outside of this, and then we can go back to it, but outside of this, what, what are the things that people can do, marketers in particular, uh, can do to to not be overwhelmed by the content in front of them and, and, and how to d discover the right piece of content that will actually help them? Right. Uh, great question again. I think that in order, I think the first pain that we're really experiencing as professional marketers is the, is information overload. And, uh, this is something, this is the first thing that we need to tackle if we want to find ourselves to be more focused and to consume the right content. I believe that each one of us have a different kind of, um, orientation and approach. To the content that you prefer. So I think that um, uh, if you really want to mechanize it, this process, so you need to choose your top three or four or five kind of uh, sources, you know, just to try to get the most uh, uh, out of them, whether it's by subscribing to their uh, blog, blog list or whether it's to follow them on Twitter and, and uh, Facebook. Sources can be blogs, can be influencers. And um, these days with uh, Medium, you also have great uh, publications over there. I really love Medium. I think it's very authentic over there with the, the writing style of a lot of people, super authentic. And a lot of people that are not getting uh, enough exposure or not getting exposure at all uh, because they are not fighting for huge blogs uh, or marketing blogs in our case. They're getting a lot of exposure over there. I love to read um, uh, Medium blogs. I really love the authentic and personal approach. So people can just go on Medium choose the right people or the people that they find they can um, um, get uh, the most information from and that would be probably the best solution. Yeah, so the information overload is definitely the, the, the first problem. And then I think what is connected with that is the, is the fear of missing out. What I found is that it seems like people you know, are, are really scared of missing out on the next big thing or the next big trend or the next big tips or trick or growth hacks that you need to use to like skyrocket your sales in the next 30 days type of stuff. 
I think it's okay to avoid that. And it's okay to, as you said, pick three or four sources and stick to them. You're not ever going to be able to digest all the information available out there. Your, your job is really to try to make sense out of what you have in front of you and trust that system to deliver the answers that you need uh, in day to day. In, in stoicism, it's called tranquility, like seeking tranquility. And I think that's an important aspect of content discovery. I think it's so true. I'm just not sure how, um, you know, younger marketers or younger professionals um, can um, uh, can actually do that. You know, I think that you need to be quite mature in order to say, all right, these are my um, uh, given sources. The, these are the people that I want to follow. And I try to um, 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 not to suffer from a, from a form of fear of missing out. And I hurt myself by following only these kind of sources. I totally agree with you. And uh, I just, you know, I think that it's good for more uh, mature kind of marketers. I really hope that young marketers can leverage these things as well. Yeah, that's a good point about young marketers. I guess, I guess there are some must go places where you can, yeah, for sure discover content is good, like Moz around SEO and content uh, is very good. HubSpot around marketing and sales. Then medium, some medium post and medium uh, publication are really good. I guess it's for younger marketers, they kind of have to, to discover things and, and, and using a platform like Zest can definitely help them to, to find the right content. But I, I wouldn't say that they should welcome any type of content in their stream. I guess if they start in the start of their career by focusing on one or two things, then I think they learned a good lesson in terms of you know, marketing is about focusing on one or two things, not doing everything at the same time. Yeah, definitely. I think I agree with you. I think it's a good time to start off this way by educating yourself that you can focus on in a couple of sources and not, not more than that. And the sources that you mentioned are totally great. You know, Moz and the HubSpot and all these um, 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 huge publications and, and blogs. Um, what we find out, by the way, with, with Zest is that... Um, the, the, the lesser known the, um, uh, the source is, uh, the better the engagement metrics are. And this is quite, quite interesting, right? Because it, it seems that people, they, they know what, what they are going to consume, what kind of takeaways and action items and content they're going to consume with um, HubSpot or Moz and all that. But it seems that they are really eager to give it, to give a go, to give it a go for other kind of sources, new sources they never heard before. And I think that it starts probably with fear of missing out, but eventually you see these people come back and back to the same uh, really small blogs uh, of, you know, small bloggers or unknown bloggers that they provide with a lot of authentic uh, and, and real and ground level kind of uh, um, uh, information and, and action items. And this is quite, I think, something quite fascinating that we see, you know, within our own platform. You know what? It's probably worthwhile to write an article about it. I'll write it down to myself. <laughs> my guts would tell me that the reason why people are actually going to Zest is also because they definitely they probably know HubSpot and, and most they probably do read it every now and then and what they want is discover new things new, new type of content right so that might be also the reason why uh, you get more engagement from unknown authors or unknown blogs because they're maybe a little bit sick of of the old platforms that are there that have been there for years but I'm interested in knowing so in your side, like when you receive a piece of content, an article or a podcast episode or, or, or a guide, what are your criteria to say, well, this is actually good? 
that's a that, that's a great one. I think that um, we have some uh, strict kind of um, content uh, quality style guide. Um, of course, we're speaking about um, first of all about added value and what is bad content versus what is good content. Um, I'll, I have a long, you know, it's like a two paragraphs long of what is bad content. But um, I think what we should do now, we'll just read you the couple of the parameters that by day we are choosing what is a good content uh, for Zest. So we call it the yay and the nay, right? So the yay parameter will be that it will be content that contains references and visuals. Uh, it will be full of takeaways. It will be actionable, insightful, in-depth. It must be fresh and it must be free. So these are the yay kind of parameters. The nay kind of uh, parameters will be um, short paragraph kind of listicles. I know you hate them. I hate them. I know that a lot of people hate them. I don't have, um, you know, I don't have nothing about uh, listicles, uh, nothing bad about them. Um, listicles will be here probably for, for good. And, you know, this is a personal uh, shout out to all the writers out there. Don't write short paragraph listicles. Give us a lot of information and it should be in-depth. If it's a listicle, it should be something that uh, respects itself. Uh, and, and, of course, the blog it's been published on, it shouldn't be just, I don't know, uh, 20 words or 30 words per uh, per number in the listicle, right? So that's one of the nay uh, parameters. The other one is uh, no publish date. So we make sure that most of the content that may be being published on Zest will have a publish date um, associated with this blog post or podcast or, or video because this is, uh, you know, it will, it's really helping us to determine whether this content is fresh and recent. So that's one of the parameters, uh, news jacking and, uh, you know, two branded kind of content probably will not get approved uh, by, by our guys. Uh, news items um, are great, but not for Zest. Zest is only uh, good for actionable kind of content. Um, if, if the content is overgated, you know, if you need to assign in through uh, LinkedIn and then put in your email and then refer it to a friend and only then you will get the content. So it will not get published on uh, Zest. And of course, I cannot, uh, I must mention it, the clickbait, probably, uh, kind of headers. Um, you will not see kind, this kind of content being published on, on Zest. I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good, good overview. There are some least articles that are, that are, that, that could be good. But as you said, it tends to be a little bit of a lazy piece of, uh, of writing just in order to, to create content for the sake of it. I've been using your platform for, for a while and yeah, I found really good pieces of content. Now I've decided not to go on this type of stuff too much because I tend to, to waste my time on it. And I've decided to trust my, my instincts and, and, and just, you know, learn by experiencing instead of learning by reading. Um, but I think other people will definitely, you know, like uh, to read the stuff that you guys produce because it's, it's, uh, that you guys select because it's really good curation. So well done on that, by the way, because it's, uh, it's a very young platform, but it's, it, I think it's really promising. What do you think marketers should learn, digital marketers in particular, what do you think they should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years? I believe that maybe it will, it, uh, you'll find it a bit cliche, but I believe that uh, marketers should be really data-driven. You know, again, it's, it's quite cliche, but um, it, it's, so, it's so true. You know, I learned it on my own uh, when I uh, when I was the CMO of uh, of uh, Webidoo, and uh, we really quick we really quickly uh, started to change our uh, vocabulary. We can say from uh, I feel that we need to do that uh, to um, to something that called you know um, I see uh, I'm sure or I know that we need to do that because 
you went to, the, to your BI um, tool or product or guys, and you ask them how this campaign uh, performed and um, how these users are engaging with our product and, um, and what is the user journey and, and have they finished the onboarding properly or not? Um, have someone from sales team uh, speak with these guys or not? And once you have all these kind of uh, data and you put, put it together, you can really take um, solid uh, decisions. And um, I think that it's really, um, you know, it's like, um, it's like a shortcut. Instead of trying out a lot of kind of campaigns and, and that final optimization and all that, always go, go to the data, whether it will be um, a mid-funnel or bottom-funnel, uh, and start to recalculate your next steps from there up. Um, so the lower the KPI is, the lower in the funnel, I mean, so whether it will be um, MRR or ARR or expansion MRR or whatever it is, try to understand the journey of the users that uh, achieve this kind of uh, KPI and then optimize your campaigns um, accordingly. And I think that each tool and each startup and each whatever have their own lowest uh, or most bottom kind of KPIs. Um, now, you know, for Zest, we, we are quite new uh, tool, as you said. So right now, our uh, um, our uh, uh, most bottom KPI uh, will be weekly active users, or, or you know, if someone clicked more than uh, 50 times in his in the last week about an article, it means that he's really engaged. Um, so we are trying to understand the user journey and flows of these successful users. And this is one approach. And I think the mirror approach of that is to try to and, and understand, this is the negative, take the, your worst kind of users, like users who, who didn't really finish everything or didn't hit mid-funnel, uh, but you know that they are potentially right for you because you have some data uh, on them, and then try to re-optimize uh, the channels that brought these guys as well. And I think that, that um, eventually what, what you, you, you will have as a, as a young marketer, is the right tools and the right approach to treat things without involving too much of uh, feelings and stuff like that, just base all your assumptions on, on data. So if someone would have told me about it, you know, uh, 10 years ago, um, I, I believe that I was in a different uh, place right now. I think that um, as time goes by, and of course, in these last couple of years, so I think that uh, marketers do accept this kind of approach. Um, or, you know, at least they say it, but um, I think it's really important to stick to that and go back to the data, um, you know, on a daily basis. What are the top three resources you would recommend to, to the listeners? So it could be a book, it could be a podcast, it could be anything. Everyone hates marketers.com. <laughs> <laughs> All right, come on. <laughs> no, that's a really great uh, source. I, I love it. And I think that, you know, as far as it relates to, um, um, to general kind of things, because um, uh, I don't want to tell you that for SEO, go for that, or for paid campaigns, go to the other source. I think in general, I really like uh, smartinsights.com. Uh, they have some kind of, uh, you know, uh, short content over there. It's not a, a long form one, uh, really informative. Uh, they, all, they, they base all their... Uh, uh, Content over there on, on data and metrics and, and researchers. I really love this, uh, this source. And this is really the only one that come to my mind uh, right now, but I have probably a couple of, of more. I can send it to you uh, later on so we can edit. Did you read any good books that really like that you remember that changed the way you're doing marketing? Well, um, well, that's a weak point. I'm quite uh, dyslexic in, in, in a way. So 
I think the last book that I wrote, that I read was uh, probably in fourth grade. <laughs> um, so I'm quite uh, quite weak at that. Um, I just I think that it, um, let's say I'm reviewing around the five thousand artic- marketing articles a week. So I think it's enough. Yeah, I'd, I'd <laughs> say so. Yeah, great. Well, yeah, you've been uh, you've been amazing. Uh, all the best with uh, with your platform, and I'll I'll make sure to. Uh, to update the listeners about the progress and hopefully we can help you to, to grow it as well. Good stuff. My, my pleasure. Thanks for that. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you and you can always unsubscribe for sure if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet and we always uh, can improve. So you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com. Good or bad, please feel free to send me an email. And the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode, please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again, and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.